Open your Bibles this morning to the book of Exodus, going back into the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 13. And uh, I just want to let you know it's okay to get excited praising God. And uh, man, if you can't sing that song with just some excitement, when you, re- when you read the words on the screen and the words leave your lips and you realize all that was fulfilled and not only the coming of Christ, but the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that I stand, you stand free and redeemed and made whole in all that Christ has done through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is an amazing reality. And I feel sometimes, maybe it's just me. See, that's excitement right there. That's what I'm talking about. That's like the baby row back there. I tell you, we've got a couple of them going on. It's awesome. Um, I love that. Love that. So, when we come together to worship, man, I don't know if it's church background. I don't know if it's where you grew up. I don't know if it's what you're used to. I'm not talking about being crazy to be crazy. But I think there's some of us that we don't really know that we can be excited to worship God. And I want to let you know it's okay to, get, to have joy when you're praising God. Uh, it's okay to tell your face, be happy. It's, it's good to worship God. And I'm so thankful to be a part of a church that when we worship and we praise him, we lift up our voices Man, I love hearing the worship of God's people. And uh, I don't know if I tell you this all the time, I know, but there are many times during worship that if you see me not singing, it's not because I don't know the words or I'm not into it. Um, But there's sometimes it's just so great to just stand. Now, we all can't do this at the same time, otherwise it would just be the praise band singing a song to us. But that would be kind of funny if that happened one time, though. But anyway, we should plan that, but we won't tell them. Um, but when, you, when you're hearing God's people worship and you just stop and you're just still and, and I just listen to the voices of God's people, just praising him and lifting him up. It, you know what it does? It connects us to 2,000 years of, of fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who praised God in the church. Now, I know it's always been different. The style of music's been different. The type of music, whether they sang or just kind of recited poetry, But it's amazing when we can lift our voices with the body of Christ and we do that as a whole. And then we think back, our brothers and sisters in the 1700s, 1800s, you go back to the Reformation, they would gather and do the same thing. Because no matter where we are in human history, God is worthy of all praise. God is worthy of us to lift our voices. And so this morning, I just wanted to share that just for a moment, that, man, I'm so thankful for worship a time to sing and praise him and lift him up. And so I hope that you are as well. Uh, We are excited this morning to start. uh, It really is going to be probably a two-week message series, but you guys know me, that's two or eight or 12. It really, it's kind of just relative. It doesn't really mean anything when I tell you this, but but my plan is, unless God changes it, it's going to be a two-week little mini-series to start the new year off. And it's called First Things First. First Things First. First, And we can be excited for the coming year. We can be excited for the year ahead. And I want to let you know, I do believe that God has some amazing things in store for our church. I really believe that. I believe that God has amazing things in store for you and your walk with him. I think that when we get our hearts focused on him, it doesn't matter if it's the beginning of a year, the middle of the year, or the end of a year. We can see God do great things in our lives. But I I believe that 20 years from now, there's the possibility that we're going to look back 20 years from now 
And we're going to think back and go, man, remember what God did in 2021 and how he changed the church, how he, how he blessed the church in this way, how he grew us spiritually. Man, God really did something that year. I, I pray that that's the kind of year ahead. And I pray that it's not just about, oh, the church got really big and a lot of people came. I pray that it's, man, God grew me in 2021. I, I pray that 20 years from now, you're telling your kids, or your grandkids, and you're going, I just want to let you know, man, back in 2021, God got a hold of my heart and I've never been the same. Maybe for some of you, that was 2020. Maybe for some of you, 2020 was the year that God got a hold of your heart and everything changed. And you will look back and say, that was the year that God really did something amazing in my life. Whatever it looks like for you, it's okay to be excited and have anticipation of what God is going to do. To get us kind of thinking along the right lines this morning and get us our minds on this idea of our series topic. I want you, if you can, now we can't all do this because we're kind of spread out a little bit, but if there is someone next to you, I want you to look at the person next to you and I want you to say to them, first things first. Okay. Now, if you have somebody on the other side of you, that's your second choice that you didn't look at first, go ahead and look at them. The other person, if there's somebody on the side and say, first things first. Yes, across the aisle. That's commitment to obedience right there. They're like, I'm going to get you right now. I'm going to tell you what. This idea of first things first can really honestly change our year and change our lives. So what does it mean to put the first things first? What is our first? What, what, What should we be focused on first? In scripture, we see a principle called the first fruits principle. Really, in some places, it's actually a command. And when we understand and apply this principle to our lives, I believe we will live blessed and joyful lives no matter what the coming year has in store for us. When we will understand this first fruits principle or this firstlings principle, I believe it can really and honestly change our year and our lives. Exodus chapter 13 We're going to start here, but I'm going to kind of give you a few different examples through Scripture. And and I know that what I'm going to read in Exodus 13 is is Old Testament, and it's going to sound (laughs) very Old Testament-like. And I'm going to kind of walk it out a little bit, so don't don't disconnect from it. I know some things in the Old Testament you read and you go, I don't really get that. I don't understand what it's saying there. Um, Is that even for me today as being part of the church? Um, And let me just remind you, the Bible tells us in the New Testament, Paul says, all the things that were written beforehand were for our benefit, for our our learning, right? So that we can grow and understand these things. So what we're going to learn and read this morning was written for us in the church so we can look back and learn from that and grow from that like a teacher that is teaching us these things. And so Exodus chapter 13 and verse 1 and verse 2, we're going to read this. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Sanctify unto me all the firstborn, whatsoever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and of beast, it is mine. Now, if you highlight in your Bible, if you draw in your Bible, you underline, maybe you got a device where you can highlight something on the screen, Underline, highlight, note that last phrasing. It is mine. This is God speaking here, remember? And God is saying, it is mine. It belongs to me is a more direct way of understanding that. It belongs to me. Let's pray and ask God to open our hearts and minds to them this morning. Father, we thank you for this morning. And I pray, Lord, that as we worship you, not only in the singing of songs, and the playing of music, which is so beautiful. 
Lord, I'm always amazed at your word when you read through not just the Psalms, but in other places as well, even in the New Testament, where the church came together and used many different kinds of instruments to lift up your name and to praise you and to sing and to shout praises to you. And, and so I thank you for that time that we've already had this morning. But I pray as we get into your word that it would be an equal time of worship where we would desire to hear from you, apply these truths to our hearts and minds, not so that we can just gain some head knowledge and go impress someone or flaunt our education or flaunt our knowledge, as is uh, really, Lord, something we as human beings struggle with in the area of pride. We think we're somehow better because we've learned a few more things. Father, I pray that rather than that, we would take these things as you apply them to our hearts and minds. We would be changed because of these things. Again, for your glory to be on display and for your grace to be on display. And we'd be able to share these truths with others that they, in turn, may grow. Father, thank you for all that you're doing and all that you're going to do. Open our hearts and minds, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Here in Exodus chapter 13, we see uh, really one of the amazing principles that Moses is setting forth to the children of Israel. So real quick, a couple things we need to note here. In verse 2, it says, sanctify unto me. That word sanctify means to set apart or to be made holy. Okay, we'll come back to that in just a moment. So sanctify, so set apart. It's holy now. It's a holy thing you need to set aside. And then we talked about the idea of it is mine, meaning it belongs to me. So that, what I'm asking you to set aside as a holy offering, the reason I'm asking you to do that is because it's actually mine. Now, this is a common idea in Scripture, the idea of setting apart because it belongs to God. We see this in the temple. We see this in the tabernacle. We see this in other places. God desires things to be set aside for his glory and his purpose. Here's the amazing thing. Real quick, you are a holy vessel in Christ that God desires to be set apart. And it doesn't make you any better than the other vessels. You hear me? Some people think, well, I'm a Christian, so I'm better than the non-Christian because I'm a holy vessel and they're just a, a clay pot. I'll give you a little bit of insight. We're all clay pots. You just happen to know Jesus. Man, we're all vessels that God desires to fill with his presence. And you know what makes you holy and set apart? The filling of the spirit of God through the receiving of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what sets us apart doesn't make me better than anyone else. I'm still just a clay pot, the Bible says. I'm still just a lump of clay on the potter's wheel, if you want to use that illustration. I'm still just a human. I'm just a man. I'm just flesh. But to be set apart is to say, but, but because of Christ, my life now has a different purpose. And I'm going to set aside my life unto God as an offering. And so God is teaching this idea and reaffirming in some cases, because we're going to go back to Genesis in just a little bit. He's reaffirming or teaching these things to Moses so that Moses can then teach it to the children of Israel. The book of Exodus is written by Moses as he's wandering through the wilderness. And the book of Exodus is part of what we call the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, the books of the law, however you want to describe it. Uh, these books written by Moses were written to the children of Israel so that when they go into the promised land, Okay, so we know that the first five books ends, and then we get into the idea of Joshua, the book of Joshua, where, where Moses leaves the scene. He steps off the scene, right? He's not allowed to go in the promised land, but Joshua takes them over, okay? And so this transition period takes place, but Moses, by God's grace, was given all the things the children of Israel would need to know 
so that when they go into the promised land, they're able to live a life that is pleasing to God. So they know the ceremonial law. They know what they're supposed to eat and not eat. They know how they're supposed to interact with each other. They know all this history of what God has done, taking them from Egypt and bringing them into the promised land. It's all given to the children of Israel so that when they get in the promised land, they can live in a way that pleases and honors God. And so I know it's Old Testament. I know you think, well, how does that connect? I believe these principles that we're going to draw out directly connect to our lives as followers of Christ today. And I think it directly changes how we live our lives for Christ. And so we have to understand that God asks of them, give me what is mine. I'm worthy of this. The truth is when they, the children of Israel, when they recognize God for who he is and elevate him to where he deserves to be in their lives, they will offer him the very best and the very first. So they're going to offer him the first of what they have and the best of what they have. And we're going to talk about in a minute here how that might apply to our lives today. One author said it well when he said this, when God is first in your life, all things fall into order. When God is not first in your life, nothing will be in order. When God is first in our lives, our lives will fall in order. When God is not first in our lives, your life will never be in order. And now what does it mean to have a life that is in order or out of order? I always think of like a vending machine when you go up and there's that sign. You're really thirsty. You really want a Pepsi. It's a beautiful thing on the thing. It's got the bottle with the water dripping down. It's cold looking and you're just, soda's not very refreshing as far as making you quench your thirst, but it looks really refreshing. So you go up to the vending machine, you go to put your dollar in and it says what? Out of order. And you just get that moment of just, right? Because you really had these expectations of you're going to be satisfied, it's going to be good, and then it's out of order. See, our lives can be just like that. We have these expectations, these, we anticipate God's going to do great things, but because we've made the choice to not put God first in our lives, our lives are out of order, and we're never going to feel that fulfillment, that satisfaction that comes from being in order. Now, our lives being in order does not mean there won't be tribulations and trials. It doesn't mean there won't be hardships, but when we put God first, he will strengthen us or maybe rather we'll realize we have the strength to endure and walk through whatever lies ahead. So we have to get this. Our lives being in order does not mean no tribulations, everything's perfect all the times. No suffering, no hardships. No, no, no. It means when my life is in order because I've put God first, when something comes that I'm not expecting, I'm ready for it because I've already put God first and I know he's going to be glorified in it, strengthen me through it, and I can praise him because of it. So we have to realize when we put God first, our lives will be in order. When we don't put God first, our lives will not be in order. But here's the cool thing about this real quick. We can always make that choice every single day. So many people go, oh, it's a new year. It's a new me, right? Have you guys already seen the Peloton commercials like crazy on TV, right? Have you already seen all the things about get six months free at this gym for 75 cents after that for the rest of the year? You know, like it's these crazy deals because advertisers and marketers, they know that people at the beginning of the year have this mindset of, okay, now that it's January, now I'm going to get things together. Now I'm going to get my life in order. Now I'm going to get my health in order. Now I'm going to get my finances in order. Now I'm going to get this or that relationship in order. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. Nothing wrong with having that mindset to start a year. 
But if it's purely because of the calendar or emotion, it, it will not last. And so this idea of putting God first can't just be an emotional reaction to it being January. It has to be something that we genuinely desire to do because we're realizing he's worthy of it. So I want to look at this principle of first fruits as we kind of unpack this this morning. Now, I warned you before that we're going to read a couple of verses that might sound a little foreign to our ears and a little weird to our ears. And so this is one of those passages. And so Exodus chapter 13 and verse 12. We're going to read verses 12 and 13, thinking about this idea of this first fruits principle, giving God the first. Uh, verse uh, 12. That thou shalt set apart unto the Lord all that openeth the matrix, and every first thing that comes uh, of a beast which thou hast, the males shall be the Lord's. And every firstling of a donkey thou shalt redeem with a lamb. And if thou shalt not redeem it, then thou shalt break his neck. And all the firstborn of male of men, sorry, amongst thy children shalt thou redeem. What? Like, what is that? What? What am I doing? Breaking what? Okay. But I want to kind of talk about what is, what's being talked about here. What is Moses communicating to the people of God? There's two types of animals mentioned here in this verse. There's a lamb and a donkey. Now, a lamb represents to the Jews a clean animal. Okay, an animal that's, that's clean or able to be sacrificed and, and offered up okay, as a sacrifice. A donkey is considered an unclean animal. And so basically what Moses is doing here is setting forth a principle that the clean and unclean animals have to be treated differently. The clean animal's firstborn is to be sacrificed. The unclean animal must be redeemed by a clean animal. Okay. Now, there's more to it than that. I mean, we can really dive deep into this, but that's the basic idea. The clean animal must be sacrificed. The unclean animal must be redeemed by a clean animal. Okay, you follow me? You're with me? Now, why does that matter? How does that apply? What does that even matter to us today? If we carry that principle through Scripture, let me ask you a question. This idea of first fruits, giving the first to God, allowing God to be glorified and honored in this. A clean animal's offspring is sacrificed. The unclean animal's offspring must be redeemed by a clean animal. When you were born in your natural states, were you born clean or unclean? Well, the Bible's pretty clear. We're born unclean, right? We're, we're born sinners. We need forgiveness of sin. Now, you might think, well, I don't know. I was a pretty good kid. I was a pretty holy kid. I did a lot of good things when I was a kid. Simple question. Do you have to teach your kids to do wrong or do you have to teach your kids to do good and do right? You don't teach your kids to sin. You teach them not to sin. Some of you have had to teach your kids more than others, right? You're like, would you just stop sinning? Stop it. Cut it out. Okay. For us, that was like, two months in, right? Crying for no reason. Diapers changed, fed, you're dry, you're good. It's nighttime, go to bed. This is not hard. And they cry. Why does a baby cry when they have all their needs met? Because what does a baby want you to do? Pick them up and, right? That was Sandra. I was not awe. I was like this, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep. Okay. Come on, go to sleep. Please go to sleep. Okay. But when you think about that, that idea, right, it's, it's a form of really manipulation, right? It's I want what I want. Now I know we're being a little silly with it, 
But that principle, we don't teach our children to do wrong. They're born into sin. So we were born unclean. When Jesus Christ took on flesh, was born of a virgin, was he born clean or unclean? He was born clean. And see, what Jesus Christ did was he went to the cross, the firstborn of God, the first offering of God, went to the cross and redeemed the unclean and redeemed the ones that could not redeem themselves. You see, this, this principle is all through Scripture. The unclean, you and I, are redeemed because God lovingly sacrificed his firstborn. He gave up his clean and spotless son, the Lamb of God, to save us while yet in our sin. See, here's the point. He didn't wait until we were good enough. He didn't wait till we were good enough to save us. And as a result, we must realize that God asks for your firsts because he is worthy of your first, because he gave his first. You see, God asks for your firsts, not your tenths. Now, I'm going to break that down. I don't think, wait a minute, I thought a tithe was a tenth. We're not going there just yet. It's not what I mean. I love this about this principle. God calls his people in Exodus to give him their first lamb, not their tenth lamb. Let that sink in for a second. God asks them to give him their first lamb not their 10th lamb. You see, the truth is he wants us to step out by faith before we have lambs two through 10 and give him the first one. In this principle, let me ask, since it's all through scripture, do we give God our first in faith or wait until it all looks like it's going to work out and then give him an offering? Do we wait until it looks like, okay, I think it's all going to balance. Now I can go ahead and give to God. It looks like this is all going to work out. I'll give him some time. It looks like it's all going to work out. I'll go serve now because I have the time. Do we wait until it all works out or do we practice giving him our first? Now, I know that we don't have actual lambs to sacrifice. Maybe you have lambs. Please don't bring them in. We're not going to sacrifice them. Okay, that's not. Don't take it that far. Okay, because you're going to get stuff on the carpet. Ray's going to get mad. It'll be a whole thing. Okay. But when you think about this idea, we don't have lambs to actually sacrifice. But in our time, in our talents, and in our finances, are we putting him first? Are we putting him first or are we waiting until it all works out? Proverbs, you can jot this down as a side reference, a side note. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 9 says this. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So again, this is introduced really in Genesis. We're going to talk about it in a little bit. But Exodus, we see this. Proverbs, we see this. We see this all the way through Scripture, this idea of giving God our first. Listen to what Proverbs 3, 9 says again. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. The word substance means wealth or riches. Some use the word in other translations of just possessions. When you look at the original Hebrew word, it carries the idea of physical strength or efforts. Physical strength or efforts. This matches the end of the verse when it says increase, which means produce or fruit, as in a harvest. So here's the idea. Here's what we're talking about. I point all of that out 
I, I kind of bring all those things in to show us how it applies. It shows me that whatever we produce, wealth or the fruit of a harvest, it all belongs to the Lord, and we should give him back the best and first of all of it. See, what is the verse in Proverbs saying there? Whatever you produce with the work and the physical strength and the efforts, right, in a positive sense, the physical effort I put into making money, right? Money doesn't grow on trees. We all heard that growing up, right? I heard it quite a bit. I also heard close the door, you don't live in a barn, but that's a whole other sermon. But we know money doesn't just poof, there's money, okay? And that would be awesome, okay? Just plant a little quarter and a million-dollar tree pops out of the ground. That would be amazing, okay? You could try that when it gets to be spring out. You put a quarter in the ground, just see what happens, okay? But when we think about this idea, we, we work for what we have. By the way, we talked about this on Wednesday nights. Work is not a curse or a result of the curse, by the way. Right? We talked about this recently on Wednesday nights. We're going through Genesis. Work is not a result of the curse of the fall of Adam and Eden, and Eden. The fact that we now have to work by the sweat of our brow with thorns and thistles, that's the result of the curse. But notice that God gave Adam the job of maintaining and working in the garden when he was still innocent and before sin. We get this wrong idea. We think work is bad. No, work can be a great blessing and should be a great blessing as we put in the effort and work and we please God in our work. And we honor God in how we work. But that physical effort we put into working to make the finances we make, or maybe you farm and you put in the work. Anyone that farms or even does a garden knows it doesn't happen overnight and it doesn't happen without some work and some effort being put in. And Proverbs is saying, whatever you do, that produces something, whether it's fruit, literal fruit of a harvest, or whether it's wealth is wealth or possessions, wealth is, I don't know what that is, but possessions, financial gain, whatever it is, Proverbs is saying, we need to understand that it's all given by God and therefore it should all be given back to him. Now I want to look back at really quickly, we won't turn there for time's sake, but two examples of this type of offering, this type of putting forth of of an offering. We see this in the earliest form in Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. So if you want to jot that down, you can. It's a very familiar passage. Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. We see here uh, the story of Cain and Abel, right? And we know what happens here. They both bring an offering, which is interesting. Genesis 3 is the fall of mankind. Sin enters in. God kills an animal, clothes Adam and Eve, right, with the animal. And apparently, through this process, teaches them to sacrifice. Teaches them between Genesis 3 and Genesis 4, we give an offering to the Lord. Isn't this amazing? Before the law was ever given, and a command was ever given to give unto the Lord this or that, there was already the heart of offering, the heart of sacrifice. We see this all the way even with Abraham and all those things. So understand, they didn't give this offering because they were under a law to give this offering. They gave this offering because God's word says, give this offering unto me for the covering of your sin. And they did that as a response of faith. So Cain and Abel come. We know the story, right? And, and Cain brings what? Someone tell me, what does Cain bring? What was Cain's job? He was a farmer, right? So he brings what? Vegetables, fruit, right? He brings food. What is Abel? What does he do? He's shepherds, right? And what does he bring? He brings a lamb. And does he bring just any old lamb? 
No, the Bible pretty says it, says it pretty clearly. He brings the best, right? And so Cain brings some fruit. Abel brings his best lamb. The Bible says in those verses that God receives one offering and rejects another. Whose offering is received? And whose offering is rejected? And the Bible actually is really cool in this passage. If you've never really looked this out, we studied this all through on Wednesday night. If you've never really noticed this, God has an amazing conversation with Cain after this incident. Because Cain gets mad. And he's mad at God, but he takes it out on his brother, right? And he gets mad, and God says, why are you mad? If you do the right thing, you'll be accepted. If you do the wrong thing, you won't be accepted. That's an amazing principle from God. See how his character never changes? See, this is why all the way fast forward in the Old Testament, you read about all these Jews that tried to do all these religious works. And Isaiah says, hey, don't bring me those sacrifices. Here's a sacrifice I want you to bring. Take care of the poor. Take care of the needy, right? In the New Testament, Jesus had to correct the Pharisees when they would say, I tithe this many times in a week. Okay, that's great. Doesn't mean anything because your heart's not behind it. See, God's character never changes. God has this amazing encounter with Cain. Obviously, we know the story. He warns him that sin is at the door, desiring to overtake him. Cain rejects that counsel of God, goes out, makes a decision to kill his brother. This whole thing unfolds. But I want to see the principle here of first fruits. Some have suggested that the problem with Cain's offering was that it was a bloodless sacrifice. That because it wasn't an animal sacrifice, that's why God rejected it. In the Old Testament, we see grain offerings, drink offerings, blood offerings, all different kinds of offerings. That was not the problem. The problem was that Cain did not bring an offering of his first fruits. His heart was not putting God first. Because Cain's heart was not to honor God, to not elevate God with the position he is worthy of, his offering was not accepted. Now, how does that apply to our lives today? Because we know in Christ, we're already accepted. We've covered that, right? I'm accepted because Christ did all that was necessary to see me come to know him as my savior. He's the one that gave himself as an offering. I merely received that, make a choice to repent of my sins and trust in Christ. So how do we put this principle into practice? Well, I believe, again, the idea here is that where do we position God in our lives? Where is God in your life? The truth is he is worthy of first place in our lives. He is worthy of first place in our lives. Go over to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, way over in the New Testament. I'm just going to read a couple verses here. Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 8. truly believe that when we realize the position God should have in our lives, it will directly change how we live for him and how we interact with others. Verse 8. Oh, I'm in Philippians. Colossians 2, verse 8. God's word says this, Colossians 2 and verse 8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. It's a warning here to the church. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. This is speaking of Christ. And we are complete in him. That's an amazing verse. Again, if you highlight, highlight that. You feel a little incomplete. You feel like you're missing something. You feel like you don't have everything you think you need. 
If you know Christ, according to God's word, you are complete in him. You're full in him. Which is the head, in verse 10, which is the head of all principality and power. And whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. In putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism. Wherein also are you risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. Who hath raised him from the dead. Now, that's not saying that we're saved through baptism. It's saying that baptism is a symbol of being buried with Christ and rising again, which is why we baptize by immersion. It goes on to say this in verse 13. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, f- flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. How many of our sins are forgiven in Christ? Man, praise God. Let me just remind you of this. If you ever feel like, I don't really know how I can praise God today. I don't really know what to praise God for. Go to Colossians 2 and remind yourself that all your sins have been forgiven. Verse 14. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. That's always powerful to me. It's not really his cross, is it? I mean, he took the cross, but whose cross was it really? supposed to be my cross, but he took it and now it's his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. In what? In the cross. You see, he is worthy of first place in our lives. Why is he worthy of first place? Because he is Lord of all. There are not sacred and secular parts of our lives as followers of Christ. If he is the Lord on Sundays, he is the Lord every day. We can't treat God as though, okay, God, I'll give you Sunday. That's my offering. And then Monday through Saturday is mine. That is a, that is, that is a way that he will allow you to live as a follower of Christ. Hear me now. You can live that way as a follower of Christ and fully be saved and live that way. But I promise you, your life will not be in order and you will not have the intimacy of the relationship that can be possible when we make him the Lord of our life every single day. We have to understand he is worthy of first place in our lives. He is the, as Colossians says, he is the head of all principality and power. We saw that in verse 10. He is the head of all principality and power, which is explained in Colossians 1.16. So just look over one chapter. Colossians 1.16 says this. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. All things were created by him and for him. You see, he is truly Lord of all. There is no power that rivals his power. There is no authority that is greater than his authority. And so when we think about putting God first, making first things first, we have to realize he is worthy of all because he is Lord of all. He is worthy of first in my life. Not only is he Lord of all, he is also victorious over all. He is Lord of all, and he is victorious over all. Look at, again, Colossians 2.15. And having spoiled principalities and powers, this is involving even in the spiritual realm, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. 
When he rose from the grave, showing power over death and sin, his victory was not private, but it was public. Get that now. He didn't just rise from the dead quietly with no one aware of what was going on. He rose from the dead, and within a very short time, the news was being spread abroad. Right? The, Paul says that over 500 people saw the risen Christ. We see this, the conversation with the disciples on the road to Damascus, or I mean Emmaus, I'm sorry, Emmaus. When you see this, he publicly displayed his victory. Not only was the cross a public display of victory, but the resurrection was a public display of victory. Again, this was not done in secret, but boldly, so that all may see that he alone is Lord. Warren Worsby, in his commentary, says this about this passage, and I love this. The death of Christ, the death of Christ on the cross looked like a great victory for Satan, but it turned out to be a great defeat from which Satan cannot recover. The, the, the death of Christ on the cross looked like a great victory for Satan, but it turned out to be a great defeat for Satan from which he cannot recover. Christ deserves and is worthy of first in our lives because he is Lord of all and is victorious over all. Granting to us eternal life, let us live our, live our lives putting him First, putting first things first. Now, I want to I do this in closing. Because we tend to make commitments to the Lord after messages like this that sound like this. This is what we do. And I, I understand it. There's nothing wrong with it. But here's what we do. We say things like this. Okay, I, I want to make God first in my lives. And so we, we make a commitment in reaction to that by going, Lord, I'm going to make you first in my life today and every day of this year. I'm going to make you first in my life. Every day of 2021, you're going to be first in my life. And while that's great, and while prayerfully we pray it's true, by the way, not only for you, but I pray that's true of me this year. Listen, I got to put him first every day just like you do. There's no difference there. But when we make commitments like that, it's hard to gauge that, isn't it? Because if I make a commitment today to say God's first in my life in all things, all of 2021... Is that really something that I expect to gauge without ever failing or falling? No. Now, we can make that commitment. There's nothing wrong with that commitment. But may I suggest, instead of that, maybe our prayer could be this. Lord, I will make you first in my this today. I will make you first in this in my life this week. Maybe it would be, Lord, I will make you first in my finances. Or, Lord, I'll make you first in my family. The, the point I'm trying to make here is what is one practical, real, tangible, a way that you can look at it, engage, am I, Lord, by your grace, doing this faithfully? See, we make these kind of commitments sometimes, and I, I, don't, I don't think everyone does this, but we make these very broad commitments, very just kind of broad stroke, Lord of my life. But we don't step back and go, okay, how am I evaluating? Am I doing that faithfully? Because if I set myself up for Lord of all every day for 2021, and I struggle in my finances, but I'm winning in my family. When I say winning, I mean victorious in that. But I made this commitment. I beat myself up because I'm not doing it perfectly in all things. Do you get what I'm saying? But when I make it something where I can say, okay, Lord, today... Lord, I want you Lord of my life, but practically, and I want that to be evident in my finances today. Help me to be just faithful in that this week. 
How many put you first in my family this week? So let me ask you, just real quick, if you're taking notes, you can write it down. If you're not taking notes, just maybe mentally ask yourself this question. What is one way, just one way? Yes, sure. God is a follower of Christ. Be first in my life in all things. Awesome. Good. Fine. But what's one way that's going to be evident in your life this week? What's one practical way that, God, I'm going to make you first in my life in this area specifically? And for some of us, if that's health and wellness, don't make it about a number you're trying to gain. Make it about committing your health and wellness to Christ and saying, God, just strengthen me in all these areas. If it's your finances, it's not about, okay, God, I'm going to be perfect in my finances. No, God, make me wise in my finances. Help me to be wise. And where I've blown it, help me to own that and work towards taking care of that, but help me to use wisdom moving forward. God, help me to give to you what you're worthy of and help me to give back to you as a tithe and offering, which we'll talk more about next week, that it's not maybe what we've thought it always has been. God, help me to be faithful in these things. And so here's, here's the, the application to today, real simple. What is one way that you could put God first this week? That's it. I know it's super, super complex application. What are you going to do? How are you going to apply this? What is one way you're going to put God first this week? And here's the commitment. Start there. Just start there. We said this last year around this time and the year before that and the year before that. So many people don't know where to start. And because they don't know where to start, they never start and they never move anywhere. Never go anywhere with Christ. You know, you want to know where to start? Right where you are. Just start right now. And say, God, I know I haven't done it perfectly in these areas. By the way, God never called us to be perfect. He called us to be faithful. We beat ourselves up for not being perfect. And God's in heaven, I believe, going, I never called you to be perfect. If we could be perfect, we wouldn't need Christ. But he does call us to be faithful. And guess what happens when we choose to not be faithful as a follower of Christ? He gives us grace. So that we can repent, turn away from that, trust in him anew. And so what is that one thing? And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a time of invitation. And obviously, if you don't know Christ, the first invitation I want to give you is to trust Christ as your Savior. To stop trusting in good works or religion or being a good person or whatever other thing you're trusting in that you think is going to cleanse you of your sin or get you into heaven. Realize it's only through the personal work of Jesus Christ. Not my words. That's God's word. He died for us. He was buried for us. He rose again for us. And if you receive him by faith, you can be forgiven of all sin, as we've already read. That's the first thing we have to wrestle with if we don't know Christ. But if you know Christ, then here's what I want to invite you to do. I want to invite you to come. And I know you don't have to come up here to pray and make this commitment. But sometimes we put feet to a thing and it makes it more real for us. And so here's what I'm going to invite you to do as an individual, as a family, as a couple, as whatever, wherever you're at. What is that one thing that you're going to say, God, I'm going to put you first in this area. Yes, Lord, I want you first overall. Yes, Lord, I want you first over all of my life. And I pray that that would be true. But practically, this is an area that I'm struggling with. God, practically, this is an area that I have a hard time letting go of. I don't know about you, but I have some things I have a hard time letting go of. Maybe for you, it's a relationship. Maybe for you, it's some kind of a situation at work. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a health thing. And you've just been trying to control that thing and trying to make that thing. And you're just going to go, God, I'm just going to put you first in this. And then I'm going to let it go. I'm going to let you lead. I'm going to let you guide. So what is that thing that you're going to put first or put God first in this week? I'm going to invite you in just a moment to come and pray. Bend a knee. Make the commitment to God. Don't expect perfection, but pray for faithfulness. 
and then trust God's grace to pick us up when we don't, or if we don't, do it perfectly. All right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for this morning. And Lord, we thank you for your grace and your truth that leads us and guides us. Father, I know that the invitation is simple this morning, that we, because you offered your firstborn for us, we as unclean individuals have been able to be redeemed. So I pray that as a result of that, as a reaction to your offering to us, that you, you gave yourself for us, not when we cleaned ourselves up and got everything right, but in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So I pray as a response to that, that we would realize that you are worthy of being first in our lives because you are Lord of all and because you are victorious over all. And in that as an overflow, Lord, I pray that as we commit our lives to you, that in that we would look for real tangible ways to make you first in our lives, so that we can gauge those things, pray for faithfulness in those things, be able to evaluate where we're at in those things, Lord. Father, maybe for some, it's spending time in your word. Maybe for some, it's just being faithful and getting in your word daily. Then maybe, Lord, somebody here today would pray, Lord, I want you to be first in my life overall, but I pray that I'd make you first with my time, that I would set aside maybe even just 15 minutes a day and begin reading through your word. Just 15 minutes, Lord. I want to make you first in that area. Whatever it is, God, whatever area you're encouraging your people in, I pray that they would respond to you and you alone, making the commitments they need to make and you're calling them to make so that we can see you put our lives in order this year as we elevate you and make you first. Father, we love you and we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we are led in a song of invitation? What is that one area? What do you want to commit to God this morning? Would you come? And bend a knee. Just step out from the aisle. Don't worry about anyone else. This isn't for them. You step out. You come and bend a knee and say, God, I'm going to make you first in this area in my life today so that you would be glorified. Would you respond to what God is doing this morning?